1: Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.
2: I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, the state of Nevada has declared Bernie Sanders the winner in its Democratic contest. As the candidates move on to South Carolina for the next primary contest, the question is, is there anything or anyone who can stop him? Plus, intelligence officials tell Congress that the Russians are at it again. This time, they're interfering in the Democratic primary race as well as the president's reelection campaign. But the White House denies it, saying it's all Democratic disinformation. It was Bernie Sanders who came out the big winner in Saturday's contest in Nevada.
3: We well, have just put together. A multi-generational, multi-racial coalition which is going to not only win in Nevada, it's going to sweep this country.
2: Well back of Sanders is former Vice President Joe Biden, who'd hope to score strong support in the state where a third of Democratic caucus voters are minorities.
4: We're alive and we're coming back and we're going to win.
2: But Democrats, voters and even President Trump are asking the question.
1: Joe, what the hell is wrong with you, Joe? Sleepy, Joe.
2: The former vice president told us that despite his early losses, he's going to do well in the next round.
4: I'm going to go all the way through this thing.
2: Then, as intelligence officials warn that at least two 2020 candidates are being helped by the Russian interference, one candidate says he won't stand for it.
3: And when I say to Mr. Putin, if elected president, trust me, you are not going to be interfering in American elections.
2: The other, President Trump, says no one's helping him. We'll hear from the president's national security advisor, Robert O'Brien.
5: There's no briefing that I've received that the president's received uh, that says that President Putin is doing anything to try and influence the elections in favor of President Trump. We just haven't seen that intelligence.
2: All that and more is just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. It was a big win for Senator Bernie Sanders in yesterday's Nevada caucuses. With half of the precincts reporting, he stands at 47 percent. Well behind him is former Vice President Joe Biden with 19 percent, followed by former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg with 15. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren stands at 10 percent, followed by Amy Klobuchar with 5 percent and Tom Steyer with 4 percent. CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto is here to tell us more. Anthony, what is behind the senator's decisive win?
1: Well, we talked about Nevada being the most diverse electorate the Democrats would face. Well, look at how well Bernie Sanders did with key parts of it. Latino voters who make up a large part of it, 51 percent well ahead of everybody else. Let me also show you young people, core of Bernie Sanders' coalition, very well with them again. And let me also show you labor union households, where he also won despite some back-and-forth controversy during the campaign. All of this, Margaret, is going to bolster Sanders' argument that he can put together a diverse coalition of Democrats going forward.
2: Anthony Salvanto breaking down the details. Thank you, Anthony. And we will hear from Anthony later in the broadcast as well. As the Nevada caucuses were going on yesterday, we spoke with former Vice President Joe Biden. He told us that he was confident about his prospects in South Carolina and beyond. Our latest Battleground Tracker polling shows your lead with South Carolina black voters is thinning out. In November, you are at 54 percent support. It's now at 35%. That's a 19 point difference. That's also what been a
4: What's happening is you have Steyer spending hundreds of millions, tens of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars out campaigning there. And uh, so I think a lot's happening in terms of the amount of money being spent by the billionaires um, to uh, try to cut into the African American vote. I think that has a lot to do with it.
2: South Carolina, though, was your firewall.
4: You've set it my firewall. I've never said— The started, campaign has no, said it's your five No, not fire. I said, I'm going to do well there, and I'll do well there, and I'll do well beyond there as well.
2: What does do well mean for you?
4: Look, you guys can do all the pontificating about what it means. I'm not going to—that's not my job. My job is to go in and make the best case I can, and I think we're going to do well. I think we're going to go on to Super Tuesday and do very well.
2: Your campaign manager had said, second place, there'd be a sigh of relief in South Carolina. You disagree with your campaign manager?
4: Look, I am not going to do the pontificating about, you know, I'm not a pundit. I'm -hmm. a candidate. And I just, I'm going to tell you I'm going to go all the way through this thing.
2: You mentioned on spending, Steyer, you think, the amount of money he's spending in South Carolina. A lot of money. Is is trimming away at your support. Well,
4: I I, I assume that's part of the reason why those numbers are down, but I don't know.
2: Mm -hmm. What do you think is happening? We'll see.
4: I mean, look, you guys love this stuff. I'm not into this. Let's just see what We're happens. You're watching all this. I'm not watching this at all. I go out. I'm running for the same exact reason when I started to restore some dignity to the office, to make sure that African-Americans and minorities get treated well. And this time when we rebuild the middle class, get brought along and to unify the country and the party. Nothing's changed why well, I'm running. And I'm going to continue to do that
2: why does joe biden want to be president what is the the key thing that's driving you that you want to achieve if you're elected
4: we have to restore the integrity of this country internationally We have to get off of this god-awful effort on this president's part to divide the country. We have to bring the middle class back. We have to have a health care policy that makes sense, that is doable, which I can do, by, and, and by building on Obamacare. And we have to have an immigration policy that, in fact, is rational and reasonable and represents who we are. They're all the reasons why I'm running, among others. But look, the next president of the United States also is also going to have to stand on the stage on day one and lead the world. They're going to have to be able to know what they're doing internationally, and the other leaders are going to have to know who that person is and know that person knows them. And I'm the best qualified person by a long shot of anybody running to do that. That's why I'm running.
2: Bernie Sanders, can you stop him in terms of the momentum he has? The Bloomberg campaign, as you know, is out saying that for uh, moderates like yourselves, uh, he's going to basically end up with an insurmountable delegate lead because of his early success.
4: I told you I'm not going to play this game with you. I don't know. It's not about who I stop. It's why I'm running. Why I'm telling the people that I should be the next president, why I'm the best guy to beat Trump? All those other polls you all cite also, so I'm the most person, I'm the person most likely to beat Trump. I'm the person that, in fact, in, in, in those polls. In addition to that, I'm the only one in terms of the Russians, and all these stuff you've all been reporting, the, the Russians don't want me to be the nominee. <clears throat> they spend a lot of money on bots on Facebook, and they've been taken down saying Biden's a bad guy. they don't want Biden running. They're not—no one's helping me to try to get the nomination. They have good reason. Who informed
2: you of that? Was it Facebook, or have U.S. intelligence officials told you about some kind of meddling with the campaign?
4: I have not spoken to the intelligence community, but I think the intelligence community should inform the rest of us who are running what they told Senator Sanders.
2: And there's no date for that to happen?
4: Not that I'm aware of.
2: But you're asking for it?
4: I think they should.
2: You should. From what you're seeing, you talked about Facebook— um, and them alerting you is that? Am I understanding you well, correctly? Well, I, I was
4: told that, they, that the, there that there are a lot of bots on Facebook and <laughs> they've been all taken down, and so there were fake attacks accounts on me. being run. Fake accounts, yes, and they're taken down. But I, I don't know who. I, I didn't get a call from Facebook, but I, I I was told by my my staff that's what happened.
2: Uh, because I know you've been critical of Senator Sanders uh, for not being strong enough in his condemnation of some of the vitriolic sentiment online. And Senator Sanders has come out with a statement saying, and he said it on the debate stage as well, that perhaps some of this may be fueled by the Russians. In other words, they're not actually his supporters. Do you buy that?
4: Well, look, the people who occupy my office, maybe they were Russians. I don't know. But they they said they were Bernie supporters, (laughs) the people who occupied other offices and the people who did these terrible things to the culinary workers and the women who run that operation. Uh, I guess anything's possible, but they're identified as Bernie supporters. So I'm not making any comment beyond that. But there should be absolute condemnation of the conduct of these folks who are engaging in that kind of behavior and the misogynistic behavior that, against the culinary workers and people coming into my office, the police have, this was back in in, uh, in uh, the first two primaries, and have to call the police to get them out of office. I mean, that, that, that's Trump-like stuff. I mean, this is not the, the stuff that we've done in Democratic primaries before.
2: When he says the ugly stuff may be because of the Russians, sounds like you're saying no.
4: I don't know. I'll let you make that judgment.
2: Well, all of us would like to know a little bit more um, about exactly what's happening. But U.S. intelligence hasn't made any of this public yet. White House isn't shedding much light. But the bottom line seems to be that— White
4: House is shedding light. The president's angry because the intelligence community, in fact, informed (coughs) Bernie Sanders and I guess others and members of the intelligence committee that, in fact, the Russians want to see Trump reelected, and they like Bernie.
2: We spoke to the national security Advisor to the president, who is denying that the White House was informed of the preference for Trump. But but you and I both know that in 2016, that was the intelligence. Community's All I know is what I've read and,
4: been, and been reported. No one has confided in me. I have no inside information.
2: Um, But the bottom line is, doesn't all of this shake the confidence of the American people to a certain extent in in terms of the integrity of the election itself? I mean, this is right at the heart of American democracy. I've been
4: saying this for over three years. The president denies they're involved. They've been involved. I was deeply involved in the intelligence apparatus and how it functioned before we left the vice presidency. It was clear they were involved. The president continues to deny their involvement it's overwhelming and the fact is that everybody knows except I mean, when the president stands before the whole world looks at Vladimir Putin says why would he want to interfere in our elections well 17 intelligence agencies he told me told them he did so this is all this is bizarre this is bizarre this is continuing and what's happened why in god's name haven't we hardened the electoral process uh, provided billions of, hundreds of millions of dollars of states to be able to harden their voter rolls make sure they can't be attacked by cyber security as a consequence of cyber attacks why haven't we provided the ca- capacity for them to be able to have the money to have paper ballots in addition to their i mean th- this is this is outrageous and it's going on look i joined with the leaders of europe when the european elections took place back before i got involved before I, mean, I, I decide to run, and we set up an organization that, in fact, said every European leader running in in either part, in any party would take a pledge mm-hmm. that if you got any negative information about someone else from another from a foreign source, you would not use it, and if you got any information that they were trying to interfere, you'd report it.
2: Have you asked I your Democratic took that colleagues to do that?
4: I've said that on on stage. I, I you know I, I think we all should take that pledge. I've taken the pledge.
2: Um, You were in office, obviously, in 2016 when all of this uh, interference was first detected. Yes. Since that time, a bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee finding uh, faulted the Obama administration for its response and said that the actions taken undermined public confidence in the election and allowed— Uh, for further Russian interference. Do you agree with these findings that the administration fell short?
4: Not at all. Look, we went out and went to the committee, went to the Republican leadership and said, look, this is what we have. I didn't, but the intelligence community did. This is what we have. Why don't you join us in condemning what's happening? And the Republican leader of the Senate said, no, I want no part of joining in what's happening. And everything that came up subsequently, that reinforced what we were saying was going on. Now, the question was, should the president have come along and said, by the way, this is happening, and then it be viewed and accused of, we were somehow. Right. We alone were doing something.
2: But in hindsight, you know where the story ends up.
4: Well, I, but, you, but do we, we didn't have you think there the...
2: are, are lessons for the current administration to learn?
4: They, look, not, this administration is incapable of learning elections. They like this. Come on. Let's be fair here. They've known this for a long time, for three years— Every intelligence agency has told them they continue to be engaged in this activity. Every intelligence agency told me they were engaged before. There's not any question anymore. There's never been a question for the last three years. And what's he doing? Zero. What is Republican leadership in the United States Senate and Congress doing? Zero.
2: We'll have more of our interview with the former vice president in our next half hour. And we'll be back in one minute with National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien.
6: With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. They're
4: trying to start a rumor. It's disinformation. That's the only thing they're good at, that Putin wants to make sure I get elected. Listen to this. So, doesn't he want to see who the Democrat's going to be? Wouldn't he rather have, let's say, Bernie? Wouldn't he rather have Bernie, who
2: honeymooned in Moscow? That's the president at a Friday rally in Las Vegas, claiming that reports of Russia interfering in his favor was Democratic disinformation. When we were in Las Vegas Saturday, I spoke with the White House National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, who was in our Washington studio. I asked him if he had assured the president that this particular U.S. intelligence finding was real. He strongly disputed it.
5: Well, I have not seen the finding. I think what he's referring to and what folks are talking about is a briefing that took place last week at the House Intelligence Committee uh, that was leaked to the press And I have not seen that report. I get this secondhand, uh, but from Republican uh, congressmen that were in the committee, there was no intelligence behind it. I haven't seen any intelligence to support the reports that were leaked out of the House.
2: But the White House was briefed on February 14th. Were you not in that briefing when the president was informed?
5: Well, there's no briefing that I've received, that the president's received, uh, that says that President Putin is doing anything to try and influence the elections in favor of President Trump. We just haven't seen that intelligence Uh, If it's out there, I haven't seen it. I'd be surprised if I haven't seen it. The leaders of of the IC have not seen it. So, uh, again, I don't know where this is coming from. I've heard these rumors and these leaks from uh, Adam Schiff's committee, but I I have not seen them myself, and I've seen no intelligence along those lines. Wait, just to clarify,
2: are you saying that Joseph McGuire, the former acting director of national intelligence, did not inform you about the U.S. Intelligence Committee's findings?
5: No, I, look, I think, you know, and again, I, I don't want to get into to, to private conversations in a, in a presidential daily brief, but I, I don't think uh, uh, Admiral McGuire was necessarily informed of what was going to happen at that hearing in the House either. And, and, and again, there's nothing that he's given us, no information Admiral McGuire gave us, Gina Haspel's given us, Director Haspel, uh, Ambassador Grinnell, the new acting DNI, that comports with what was leaked out of that House uh, intel committee. So I, I haven't seen it. Uh, the leaders of the, of the intelligence community that I've spoken with I uh, haven't seen anything that comports with what was leaked out. But again, those leaks, I, I don't know if that's what the briefers told uh, the House committee. But, I mean, those were just simply Well, that,
2: that's contradicted by reports that the director of national intelligence, McGuire, did brief White House officials. But more broadly, the FBI director at the beginning of the month, Chris Wray, testified that Russia continues to try to influence the elections, mainly through social media manipulation. So this pattern of behavior has continued. Russia is undeterred. Are you denying that that is happening
5: no no what i look i what i've heard from the fbi you know well what i've heard is that uh, that russia would like bernie sanders to to win the democrat nomination they'd probably like him to be president uh, understandably because he wants to to spend money on social programs and probably would have to take it out of the military so that would make sense uh... and and look the russians have always tried to interfere with elections because they want to divide americans they want to undermine our democracy but the idea that they want to they want to influence the election and somehow cause the president to win, I just don't see it. But look, I think there are a number of countries, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, uh, that would like to influence our elections to, to get the candidate that they feel would be best for their country. So
2: you are saying that it is not, in
5: fact, the U.S. intelligence
2: community's assessment that Russia has a preference for President Trump?
5: Uh, I, I have not seen that. and uh, And again, why would they have a preference for president trump who's rebuilding our military who's giving the ukrainians lethal aid to fight russian troops uh so that doesn't make sense now look we want good relations with russia uh, we'd like to have great relations with russia i haven't seen any intelligence that there's any active measures by the russians to try and get the president reelected, and, and we've got a simple message for the russians or any other country that wants to to, to meddle in our elections whoever they're behind, stay out of our democratic elections. And and we're doing everything we can. We're working with state and local officials. We're going, in many cases, but, to paper you- ballots uh, to make sure that, that you know, g- governments with ill intent uh, can't hack secretary of state websites, can't get involved in our elections, change results. And, and we're going to work on election security very, very hard through across the interagency and the federal government and also with our state and, and local partners.
2: Why not have the intelligence community testify in public about what they are seeing so that the public can arm themselves so that they can understand what is disinformation and what is fact? Look, look, Why I, not declassify some of this?
5: I, I'd have no problem with that, and, but that's not my decision. And the intelligence community is, is very concerned and, and careful about sources and methods, and I understand that. But I, I, I would personally have no problem but back
2: with... But back in 2016, in October of 2016, when Russia was doing this uh, disinformation campaign, uh, the Obama administration did declassify information at that time. So there is a precedent. Why doesn't the Trump administration do that? He I don't. think if
5: there's intelligence that we can declassify, that, uh, that we can get out there, all the better, because, uh, I, I, again... We weren't in office in 2016 when, when the, the last election meddling took place, and the administration did very little about it. And, and, they, and they, it, it, you know, everyone admits that, that very little was done about it. We're in office now, and we're doing everything we can across the interagency and, and with our state and federal and local partners to, to ensure... that that American ballots are secure, that that our our ballot machines are secure, that tabulations are secure, that that Secretary of State websites are secure. We want to make sure that this is a free and fair election, that Americans select their next president, not some foreign country. And and, and we're going to do it. And the president's been deadly serious about that.
2: I I want to quickly ask you, though, about Afghanistan. Um, If the Taliban does not make good on its promise uh, to pull back on violence, to sign this deal at the end of the month, is the president positioned to stop the troop
5: withdrawal? The president made it very clear the last time we were close to signing a deal with the Taliban, and they, they engaged in some malign activity. They, they had a vehicle borne IED that killed a number of people, including one American, and the president pulled back from signing the deal. We're hopeful that, that we can get to a, a place where the Afghans can talk with each other and negotiate some sort of resolution, a political resolution of the conflict. We've been there 19 years. Uh, it's time for us to stop bringing our, our sons and daughters home through Dover Air Force Base and dignified transfers. Uh, we've got to get out of, uh, of the war in Afghanistan, but we're going to do it in a way that protects American interest. So if the Taliban does not live up to their agreement on the reduction of violence plan, uh, then we'll take a very care- careful look at it. I think it would be unlikely that we'd, we'd sign a peace treaty, but we're not going to reduce troops to a level below what is necessary to protect American interests and our partners uh, in Afghanistan. I can assure you of that.
2: All right. Ambassador O'Brien, thank you for joining us.
5: Always great to be here, with Margaret.
2: The Trump-appointed official overseeing U.S. election security, Shelby Pearson, reported to Congress that Russia was interfering in the election and has shown a preference for President Trump. But sources tell our Major Garrett there was bipartisan pushback on her assertions and questions about the strength of the evidence. Congress has requested to see the underlying intelligence to back up that assessment, which, as you heard, the National Security Advisor said he had not seen. CBS stands by Majors reporting that the president was told Russia was trying to help him win. We'll be back in a moment. When it comes to picking the perfect treats for your dog, Stewart makes the choice easy by keeping it real. Real ingredients, real nutrients, real benefits. Stewart Dog Treats are free from additives, corn, soy, wheat, and grains. Plus, they're freeze-dried to lock in all the great nutrition and natural flavor your furry friend deserves. Stewart Freeze-Dried Dog Treats, big, tail-wagging,
0: nutritional benefits. Available on Amazon.com today.
2: 60 Minutes correspondent Anderson Cooper sat down with Senator Bernie Sanders for tonight's broadcast. Here's a preview.
0: Just on foreign policy, um, you said you believe in diplomacy. You're concerned Donald Trump is, is going to get us into an unnecessary war. Are there situations where you believe military action sure. is
3: Absolutely. Warned? Of course I do. You know, hopefully as, as rare as possible. But, yeah, we have a, the best military in the world. What would your criteria be for military action? Do you well, think? threats against the American people, to be sure. Uh, threats against our allies, I believe, in NATO. Uh, I believe that the United States everything being equal, should be working with other countries in alliance, not doing it alone.
0: If China took military action against Taiwan, is that something you would? That's
3: something, yeah. I mean, I think we have got to make it clear to countries around the world that we will not sit by and allow uh, invasions to take place, absolutely.
0: Would you meet with
3: Kim Jong-un? Yeah. I mean, I've criticized Trump for everything under uh, under the sun. But meeting with people who are antagonistic is, is, to me, not a bad thing to do. I think, unfortunately, Trump went into that meeting unprepared. I think it was a photo opportunity uh, and did not have the kind of the diplomatic work necessary to make it a success. But I do not have a problem uh, with uh, sitting down with adversaries all over the
7: world.
2: And national security is just one of the many topics we'll be asking the candidates about in our CBS News South Carolina Democratic debate on Tuesday in Charleston. Be sure to join us at 8 p.m. Tuesday on the CBS Network and CBSN. We'll be right back with more politics and more of our interview with former Vice President Joe Biden, plus our panel. So stay with us.
7: This episode
2: Welcome back to Face the Nation. As the Democratic race moves on to South Carolina, that primary will be held next Saturday. We have a CBS News battleground tracker out this morning, and it shows former Vice President Joe Biden on top of the field there with 28 percent support of likely Democratic primary voters. He's leading, but that's a 17-point drop since our last South Carolina poll in November. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders is not far behind with 23 percent support. Billionaire Tom Steyer, who has flooded the local airwaves with ads, is at 18. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren is next with 12 percent, followed by former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg at 10. And Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar is at 4 percent. Former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg is not on the ballot. Anthony Salvanto here to explain all these numbers. What more can you tell us about how the primary is shaping up?
1: So underneath that shrinking lead for Joe Biden you just described, it's two big things. One is while he's still on top with African-American voters who will make up most of the Democrats in this primary, that lead is so much smaller now. And he's got to share a lot of that support now with Bernie Sanders and with Tom Steyer. Also, when you look at who black voters think understands their concerns, well, that's still Joe Biden. But it's also increasingly Bernie Sanders, they say, and also Tom Steyer. The other part of this is, frankly, Not winning. This is the mechanics of momentum that all the pundits talk about. Voters in South Carolina say they think it's less likely that Joe Biden will ultimately win the Democratic nomination. Mm -hmm. So that makes them start to look at other candidates and think okay, what is it that those voters in those other states know that we should maybe reassess?
2: That's South Carolina. Let's look at what's happening nationwide. Uh, Right now, Bernie Sanders is on top with 28 percent support of likely Democratic primary voters. Elizabeth Warren comes in behind him with 19 percent, followed by former Vice President Biden at 17. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is sitting out the first four contests, of course. He comes in at 13 percent support, though. Pete Buttigieg is next with 10 percent. Amy Klobuchar has five. Tom Steyer has two. So nationwide, Bernie Sanders is still beating out Joe Biden.
1: Yeah, he is, and he wasn't always. But this was even done before last night's big win for Sanders in Nevada. So a couple of things happen here. One is the electability argument. Voters look at what's happening in these states and say, who do they think can put together a coalition that can win? We see that while Joe Biden is still widely seen as having a chance to beat President Trump, Bernie Sanders also is. And quite frankly, when Democrats and others look at a matchup against President Trump across the whole electorate, well, it's tight for all of these Democrats. For Joe Biden, for Bernie Sanders, narrow leads at best over the president, really within the margin of error across all voters.
2: But the candidates get a chance to throw some elbows and distinguish themselves on the debate stage on Tuesday. That'll be right here on CBS Uh, Who succeeds in that arena?
1: Well, debates matter, and voters in this poll have told us that debates matter. One example right there is Elizabeth Warren, who's still doing okay nationally. People told us that they thought her debate performance last time was most impressive, and that could be helping bolster her at least national support. And you also look at, by comparison, Joe Biden's debate ranking was lower than that. So there's a lot of pressure on these candidates heading into that Tuesday debate.
2: All right. Anthony Salvanto, thank you very much. And now we turn to our political correspondent, Ed O'Keefe, who is out in Las Vegas getting ready to head to South Carolina. Ed, good morning to you. Uh, What does Joe Biden need to do to challenge Sanders' frontrunner status?
8: He needs to win South Carolina, bottom line. He will spend the whole week in the Palmetto State trying to make the argument that he is best positioned to defeat President Trump, that he can build the multiracial, multigenerational coalition to do it. But the numbers here in Nevada prove he's going to struggle with that. He had an interesting line last night that we're going to hear a lot more of, Aids tell me. He said, I'm not a socialist, I'm not a plutocrat, I'm a Democrat, trying to make the argument that he best represents what the party wants to do in defeating President Trump.
2: Well, we know Michael Bloomberg is still not on the ballot, but he is going to be in South Carolina on the debate stage Tuesday. How does he need to prepare for that?
8: Well, his aides say that they will continue to try to keep the focus on Sanders and make the argument that it would be dangerous for Democrats to nominate him because he wouldn't necessarily be able to attract the kind of independent and potentially disgruntled Republican voters that the Democrats will need in order to win back the White House. But he's going to continue to face questions about his business practices and his decision to release at least three employees from their nondisclosure agreements. Elizabeth Warren especially continues to hammer away at him, and it appears to be working at least from a financial sense. been able to raise a lot of money since that debate where she attacked him. And there's evidence from the results in Nevada that her debate performance there may have helped her. Remember, in the next few days, most of these candidates will be campaigning, not just in South Carolina, but in the 14 other states voting on Super Tuesday. Texas, North Carolina, North Dakota, Arkansas, Colorado. They won't all be in South Carolina this week because they know there are huge prizes to be won on March 3rd, just three days after South Carolina.
2: All right. Ed O'Keefe on the ground in Las Vegas, and we'll be seeing you in South Carolina soon, Ed. Thank you. We'll be right back with more from our interview with former Vice President Joe Biden.
9: Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks.
2: We're back with more of our interview with former Vice President Joe Biden. Afghanistan. Yes. There is a plan in place for a deal to be signed at the end of the month after this pause in violence or reduction in violence. I remember when the Obama administration sought a deal with the Taliban. The Trump administration is now on the verge of signing one. Um, Which we
4: know nothing about. Look, I opposed the surge in the first place, number one. I didn't think we should have even the troops we sent there, it's all been made public now, that we should have the troops we, in the first place that were sent there. And I didn't think we should have had the number of troops, which is considerably less than the President, this, this mm-hmm. President added. I think we should only have troops there to make sure that it's impossible for the Taliban and for ISIS or Al Qaeda to reestablish a foothold there to be able to go from Afghanistan to the United States to attack the United States. That requires a much smaller footprint. But as I understand it, we're not drawing down to a level that was even as low as it was when we left Afghanistan. About
2: 8,600 is the number of troops. And
4: so we'll see. I mean, it's a little premature to make the judgment whether or not this is a good deal or not a good deal.
2: But as you just said in the course of your answer there, you do think there should be some U.S. presence that remains yes, in Yes, a very small
4: presence to be able to determine whether or not—I mean a small footprint.
2: What does that look like uh, look, It American? looks like
4: se- several thousand people mm-hmm. to make sure that we have a place from which we can operate if, in fact, you find that there's a, re- uh, a massing of Taliban capacity—I mean, excuse me, of al-Qaeda and or uh, ISIS capacity to strike the United States like happened in 9-11.
2: The Washington Post quoted you this week in a story about Afghanistan, saying that back in 2010, you said to Richard Holbrook, the then envoy, I'm not sending my boy back there to risk his life on behalf of women's rights. It just won't work. Not what we're there for. Is that how you remember it? What did you
4: mean? What I meant was there's a thousand places we could go to deal with injustice. I can think of Ten countries where women and or children and or people are being, are, are being persecuted or being hurt. But the idea of us going to be able to use our armed forces to solve every single internal problem that exists throughout the world is not within our capacity. The question is, is America's vital self-interest at stake or the vital self-interest of one of our allies at stake? And the fact that they have a system in Afghanistan, as they do in parts of Pakistan, as they do in parts of other countries, that we're going to send troops because there is not, and a human rights are not being valued to the same degree that we are, that's a different story about sending combat troops. We should call it out. We should go to the United Nations. We should be saying, this is what's happening. We should try to shame and get the world to put pressure on and economic pressure on people who engage, co- countries engage in that but not send troops. That's what I meant. It is not sufficient. That was my point. And the idea was, and I think Richard had said something like, well, women are being abused there. I said they're being abused a lot of places around the world. Are we going to send our American forces all over the world to make sure that stops?
2: But then don't you bear some responsibility for the outcome if the Taliban ends up back in control and women end up losing the rights? No, I
4: don't. Look, are you telling me that we should go into China because go to war with China because what they're doing to the Uyghurs, a million Uyghurs out in the West in concentration camps? Is that what
2: you're saying to me? It was your quote, sir. I was asking you. No, you I meant. know.
4: I gave you my, I gave you the answer. You, do I bear responsibility? Zero responsibility. Mm-hmm. The responsibility I have is to protect America's na- national self-interest and not put our women and men in harm's way to try to solve every single problem in the world by use of force. That's my responsibility as president. And that's what I'll do as president.
2: We'll be right back with our political panel. It's time now for some political analysis from our panel. Susan Page is the Washington Bureau Chief of USA Today. Lonnie Chen is a Republican policy advisor and fellow at the Hoover Institution. Dan Balls is chief correspondent at the Washington Post. And Jamel Bowie is the CBS News political analyst and a columnist with the New York Times. Good to have you all here. Lonnie, I want to start on the fundamental basis of what is central to our democracy, which is that our election process actually works. And undermining faith in the integrity of the election is a massive risk. I think everyone can agree on that. What we have heard in the past few days, I think is frankly confusing. Um, And National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien said not just that he had not seen the underlying intelligence that Russia was intervening with a preference for Trump, but also that he had never received a briefing to that effect. He also told us, told us in our interview that the FBI did tell him that Russia was intervening to help Sanders. This morning, Trump says he was never told that. What should Americans at home understand from this? Because bottom line, isn't the national security advisor's job to say our elections will be protected no matter who is interfering and no matter whom they're interfering on behalf of?
9: Yeah, look, I, I think he said that at the end. I think he made the point that regardless of who's doing this or what they might be trying to do, it is the job of this administration to protect the integrity of the election process and the integrity of our democratic process. But, you know, I think some of the confusion that's arising is because they're, they're, they're trying to turn things on, on very specific indications of what did and did not happen. For example, the administration is saying that the president may not have been briefed on the underlying intelligence. But surely the president was provided with some interpretation, perhaps, of that data. And so what they're trying to say maybe is that he hasn't seen the underlying evidence. Now, that may be true. Which is not unusual. And that may be true. But I think what we really could benefit from here is some clarity in terms of exactly what the intelligence community is seeing. If they are helping Bernie Sanders, and that is... A, a, an assessment that they are comfortable with. I think that's something that should be shared. And if there's any confusion, I do think that O'Brien's point was right, which is the underlying intelligence ought to be declassified. So we can see that. The American well, actually, people... Actually, that was my point. Uh, your, your point, I'm sorry. <laughs> he said he couldn't do that. Good point, then. <laughs> because, because, because then that will give the American people some comfort about what's actually going on. I do think there's confusion right now. There's no question that there's confusion right now.
10: Yeah. You know who benefits from confusion? Russia.
2: Because if they, they may want Trump reelected, they may want Sanders nominated and elected... What they mostly want is for us not to believe that we're going to have a free and fair election that we can trust. And they are succeeding on that front. And, Dan, it was your paper, The Washington Post, that reported Russia is attempting to help Sanders' presidential campaign as part of an effort to interfere with the Democratic contest. Um, What is unusual is to have the National Security Advisor talk about this in a political context. Um, and there was reaction to O'Brien commenting in this way. It's unusual for someone in that position to do so.
6: Well, it's not just unusual. It's, it's, uh, it's supposedly not allowed. I mean, the national security advisor uh, is supposed to be uh, an official who's dealing only in the national security realm and not involved in partisan politics. Um, and so any, any suggestion or anything that comes from him that puts him into that realm undermines the role that he's supposed to be playing.
2: Jamel, I mean, the theory of the case here, as as Susan was saying, is that division, confusion, that's the end game in and of itself. It's not having the Manchurian candidate per se. It's just getting people to doubt that the systems and institutions are actually functioning. Can Democrats... Um, form a united front here? Or are they falling prey to some of this? Because you heard it bubble up a little bit in that Biden interview as well, where he said, I don't buy that these are, you know, Russian bots interfering and spreading hate online, that Senator Sanders is responsible for some of it.
10: I think the first step Democrats have to do is do what Senator Sanders said when he was told or was asked to comment publicly about this, to disavow Uh, the interference to uh, say that if he's elected president, uh, he will reject uh, anything like this and try to stop any kind of election interference into the country. And then as far as the entire Democratic Party goes, I I think there needs to be sort of Two things going on. First, yes, an awareness that online and other forums there may be Russian hackers, trolls trying to stir up things, but it's probably not wise to immediately lean on that as your explanation um, for the specific reason that it does undermine people's faith in what's happening. Uh, on, On the question of online division, maybe that does require all candidates, right, to say, anyone in our camp doing these things, needs to cut it out, which is what the candidates have been saying. Uh, But I would recommend specifically for this problem of maintaining faith in the process to not immediately jump to, well, it's Russian bots, it's Russian hackers, because that, I think, uh, does sow mistrust and uh, a little bit of fear.
2: Well, one of the things that makes Sanders, um, you know, a a candidate who is controversial, uh, you know, certainly starkly in contrast to Joe Biden and what he describes there, um, is also some of his rhetoric. He tweeted and got some guff for it this week. I've got news for the Republican establishment. I've got news for the Democratic establishment. They can't stop us. That was seen as not a message of unity for the party, but one of this is an insurgency, which is divisive.
10: It is divisive. I'm not sure... I guess my perspective on these sorts of things is informed by previous election cycles, which is compared to some of the language that emerged in 2016 or 2008 or 2004. It's not that divisive. right? I I distinctly remember in the 2008 Democratic primary, the candidates, Clinton and Obama, throwing extremely hard punches at each other, saying things that in the moment made it feel like there may not be unity once the primary ended. But what happened was unity. The party got back together. So Sanders calling out the Republican establishment, and the Democratic establishment, that's sort of been his brand as right. a national politician. And I don't think relative to past contests or even relative to this contest is all that divisive. Um, I see this as just part of Uh, everyone's brand management when it comes to the role they're playing in this primary.
9: I mean, I, I think it's quite divisive in the sense that he's speaking to his base. That's who he's communicating to. He's communicating to his supporters. And we've seen this movie before, by the way, in terms of how candidates communicate with the people who support them. His message is to his supporters to say, look... you've know, you been ignored, you've been marginalized, no longer I will be your voice. I alone can do this. We've heard this rhetoric before. So I think it is incredibly divisive for Senator Sanders to engage in that. And and the Democratic establishment needs to wake up on this. If they're going to stop Bernie Sanders, are they going to figure out some way to make sure he isn't the nominee? That needs to start today. Not after South Carolina, not after Super Tuesday. It needs to start today. And by the way, Mike Bloomberg could easily engage in this activity. He could turn all of his advertising against Bernie Sanders tomorrow if he wanted to. And that's the only way there's a difference made in this race, I think.
10: You know, it's true, though. It may be divisive or not, but it is an accurate depiction of what we see happening. And you, you mentioned kind of the eerie parallels to the 2016 race on the Republican side, where you had a very controversial candidate. You
2: had a wide field that was much more acceptable to the party establishment that fought with each other and divided the, the other side of the, and it created this path for Donald Trump to win the nomination. And that is wh- what we see now happening, I think, with the Democrats' And with with Bernie Sanders, and the and the only comfort for Democrats, I think, is a lot of Democrats don't think Bernie Sanders can win a national election. A lot of Republicans didn't think Donald Trump could either last time around. I think. Well, Bernie, excuse me, sorry, uh, Joe Biden, Dan, um, is making the argument for the good of the party that someone like him, he prefer him, should be the candidate, <laughs> not just for the Oval Office, but because of all the down ballot races. Essentially, warning that. Democrats are going to lose all leverage or influence or a majority, certainly, in in, in the House uh, if they don't go with a more establishment candidate. Right.
6: And that argument is going to be amped up this week in South Carolina and ahead of Super Tuesday. Uh, but But to your point about the Democratic establishment needs to get together, we saw in 2016 that there is no way that an establishment, quote unquote, within a party can do that. I mean, what it requires is sacrifice on the part of candidates who are now in the race to say, you know what, for the good of the cause, I'm going to step aside. Well, which among these candidates is going to do that other than people who perform so woefully in South Carolina or in Super Tuesday that they're essentially driven out of the race? Well,
2: we got that call this week from Mike Bloomberg, Jamal, <laughs> uh, in that leaked memo.
10: Right, right. Um, I, I can't imagine the, pe- the kinds of people who run for president, right, are not the kinds of people who are going to say to themselves, well, I guess for the good of the party and, and you know, the someone else's political prospects, I'm going to drop out to make sure that this candidate I don't think can win can win. Um, I, I think it's worth saying in that regards um, that the analogy to Trump falls apart uh, when it comes to Trump's favorability within the Republican Party at this stage of the race Um Sanders, at the last poll I saw, 76% of Democrats have a favorable view of Sanders. That's higher than any other candidate in the race. Um, And for all the talk of reconstituting the Obama coalition, which has kind of been the drumbeat among Democrats for the past three years, Sanders seems to be the one doing it, right? We saw this in Nevada, pulling together a coalition of union households, of uh, minority voters, of working class voters, of young voters – Uh, into something that looks like potentially an electoral juggernaut. So I I sort of think the certainty among the Democratic establishment such that it is that Sanders is unelectable runs into the fact that looking at what we know so far, he appears to be quite electable um, based on the measures we use for everyone else.
2: Lonnie, I want to ask you about someone you know who you worked with in a prior campaign, and that is Rick Grinnell, Mm -hmm. the current ambassador to Germany who has stepped into the director of national intelligence role. He has no intelligence background. What do you think of his appointment to that job at this moment?
9: Well, you know, the president puts people around him who he's comfortable with, who he believes will be loyal to him. Uh, The president has that prerogative, by the way. You know, it's not clear to me that this is going to be the permanent appointment. I would say that there are a number of people who probably would be a better permanent appointment than than Rick Grinnell. But look, he has national security experience, not like he doesn't have any at all. You're right, he doesn't have any intelligence community experience. So I think at this point in time the president might be better served with someone who has that experience. But to me, this is a reflection of how the president has staffed his administration all along.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, we do have to leave it there. Thanks to all of you for joining us this week. That's it for us today. Thank you all for watching. And be sure to tune in tomorrow to CBS This Morning. Gail King will be talking to South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott. Gail is in Charleston, ahead of our CBS News Democratic debate, along with Nora O'Donnell, Major Garrett, Bill Whitaker of 60 Minutes. And I'm heading down there myself to join them. Our debate is Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Hope you'll join us. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were former Vice President Joe Biden and National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more, Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey